Greetings, Rocky River United Methodist Church and uh, all friends who are joining us today as we uh, get together for another episode of the RRUMC podcast. Stephen is here with me. Uh, Hi. Good job. <laughs> Next time, maybe wait for the cue. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. I thought. Uh, Just... Hi, Stephen. Uh, good to have you with us, and we're rolling into week two of our next series to, to launch the year 2021, and that is, um, what did you call it last week, Stephen? Was it uh, uh, important characters? Oh, uh, yeah, important, interesting character sketch profiles. Wow, is that really what you <laughs> called it? I feel like the title of the series isn't nearly as important as the content. So let's just right. move along. We're going to be talking about people from the Bible that we feel are important and, and play a, a pivotal role in the overall picture of, of Scripture and what God is trying to communicate to us uh, through it. So so this week, we, well, last week we, we talked um, about Abraham and went uh, rather in-depth into several passages uh, detailing Abraham's life and his relationship with God and, and the role he plays in, in kind of launching the Israelite people. You know, naturally, there, there were several other characters we, we could jump to immediately after Abraham if we're trying to go in, in sequence of, of uh, events of the Old Testament. But uh, Stephen and I kind of got, got antsy, decided we would jump over a few books and, and land in uh, books of First and Second Kings and uh, hang out with a gentleman by the name of Elijah. Elijah, And, and uh, later on in, in the episode, we'll bring in a second character uh, who's a body of Elijah is called Elisha, and uh, we're going to ask for your forgiveness in advance if um, we have a hard time uh, pronouncing those those right. names and differentiating between the two. We're going to do the best we can. Um, I'm thinking we might shorten it to Jah and, and Shah when that time <laughs> comes, just to provide some clarity. So uh, we're hanging out with Elijah today. We're going to look at three different passages and get to see some of of God's unique uh, plans for Elijah, the ways uh, that he used him to be his mouthpiece to the people in a very difficult time uh, in Israel's history. So just to establish some context before we even get into the the first story here, uh, this is a, a point in Israel's history where uh, the the nation of Israel had divided into two kingdoms. We have the northern kingdom, often referred to uh, simply as Israel. They get to hang on to the name Israel. The southern kingdom, uh, composed of, of two of the 12 tribes. Northern had 10, southern had two of the 12 tribes, was, was referred to as Judah. And uh, this was not a not uh, not a whole lot of highlights um, for for the Israelites as far as their faithfulness to God uh, through these these uh, centuries of of existence as two separate kingdoms. In fact, the northern kingdom, Israel, uh, had virtually no highlights, uh, no righteous leaders, um, no. Uh, indication that there w- w- was anybody faithful <laughs> existing, although I'm sure maybe some of the the common folks still were, but uh, a lot of ugliness happening in the northern kingdom with regards to idolatry and, uh, and uh, interacting with pagan religions around them. Uh, some pretty ugly stuff. The southern kingdom had a few uh, a few highlights, a few good kings along the way, and uh, there's some some uh, nice stories, some heroic stories of, of events uh, from that time period, but they also had their share of, of ugliness as well. Uh, today we're going to focus on uh, a time period once again where the, the nation is split. We're going to look at the northern kingdom and, and Elijah 
is uh, raised up by, by God to be the prophet, uh, primary prophet to the northern kingdom at this time. And this was kind of the pattern of, of things. God would uh, appoint a prophet uh, virtually the same time as, as a new king would come into power. And uh, the idea was that the two would work together to, to rule Israel. They would each contribute uh, from their own realm of experience and expertise. Elijah uh, was, was anxious to do so. Um, the king at the time, however, by the name of Ahab, not so much. This is not Ahab uh, from Moby Dick. Not <laughs> sure if he's, he's a good guy. The jury's still out on that. But this Ahab was certainly not a, a good guy. He, he was a scoundrel. Um, he had no interest in, in listening to God, uh, obeying God, uh, leading his people in that direction whatsoever. It was all about him. Uh, he, in many passages, in fact, comes across as like the, one of those uh, spoiled brats of a, a king who uh, just always wants his way and, and whines and complains when he doesn't get it. Um, if you've seen Disney's Robin Hood, I know Stephen is a big yes. fan of, of Disney's Robin Hood. One of my faves. Yeah, Prince John, right? Stephen, what do yeah. you think? Does Ahab remind you a little of Prince John? I can see that. I can see a little bit of it in his cowardness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So not just me. And then <laughs> and then Jezebel. So Ahab's wife's uh, name is Jezebel. She's the queen. Uh, whereas Ahab seemed a little um, a little dense at times. He didn't pick up on things so quick. He he was uh, just kind of. Uh, all about himself and uh, didn't seem to have the courage or the the intelligence to to properly lead uh, his his wife seemed to be of, of the more you know, conniving and and uh, um, you know she was she would scheme out what she wanted and she would go out and get it so you're basically describing a uh, emperor's new groove huh crunk and Right? Is, is that, that I was I, see I was digging <laughs> for for connections. I have not seen the Emperor's oh, New Groove. Man. So you gotta, okay, you see that that would be a favorite. Of yours. All right, where really I was going to go, in fact, was um, uh, what's her face from Harry Potter? A Bellatrix Lestrange. Uh, I think a Jezebel yeah, yeah. as like a yeah, Bellatrix yeah, I can see that. Lestrange. So Prince John and Bellatrix Lestrange, <laughs> quite a quite a power couple. Or your uh, your Emperor's groovy. <laughs> yeah. Emperor's new groove, Crunk and uh, I can't remember the old, old lady in that show. But yeah, we're now we're just throwing out shows and rec recommendations. So, so. We're, we've derailed already, <laughs> right? So, uh, so Ahab and, uh, and and Elijah are sworn enemies, right? So uh, Ahab is the king. Elijah is kind of the this thorn in his side. The the one, in fact, Ahab had pretty much squashed all uh, worship of, of Yahweh, of the Israeli God and the true God, and uh, gotten rid of all um, all places of, of worship, holy places, spaces in the, the nation, and had replaced it with all of these instruments of pagan worship. Uh, Elijah seemed to be the only true prophet, although there are indications that there were some other prophets uh, that were in hiding. Elijah had been appointed, and he was the only one bold enough to, to tell Ahab uh, what was up and, and to stand up to him and put him in his place. So Ahab is not a big fan of Elijah. Um, Ahab, um, in fact, is is uh, anxious to get Elijah in front of him so he can he can uh, he can do away with them. Would be my my guess. But uh, Elijah is still the instrument of God, and there comes this time uh, as we finally arrive at our, our setting the table for our story today. The first one, um, Elijah is is told by God to to approach uh, King Ahab, 
and challenge him to essentially a duel, uh, not necessarily King Ahab, but uh, challenge these pagan religions that Ahab had brought into the, the land of Israel in which uh, the Israeli people were, were worshiping false gods. Um, and uh, not only had he brought in these religions, Ahab had appointed or, or identified or raised up 850 prophets, 850 prophets um, representing, I think, two primary different pagan religions or false gods that they had connected to. And uh, God had, had sent Elijah to confront Ahab and challenge these 850 prophets and these false religions to this duel on the top of Mount Carmel. This is one of the most epic stories in all of, all, all of Scripture. So uh, the, 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 the way it plays out is you have um, Elijah on one side of the mountain, these false prophets on the other. Elijah gives instructions that he, he receives directly from God. All of the Israelite people have gathered around. There's a huge audience here. And Elijah instructs uh, the, the prophets to uh, set up two altars, and uh, the, each, each side is going to attempt to make a sacrifice to their god or gods. And whichever god responds uh, to the sacrifice and comes down and consumes that sacrifice, burns it up with fire, uh, that god proves themselves to be the one true god. And uh, you can imagine how this plays out, although whatever you're imagining, it's even cooler than that, uh, actually, because the, the false gods are able to accomplish absolutely nothing. They, they, uh, they try to, to worship and sacrifice to their false gods and try and get their gods to respond, and nothing happens. They start dancing around, they start begging, and their false gods just don't show up. Elijah's on the other side of the mountain taunting them and, and mocking them and uh, saying things like, you know, where, where are your gods at? Are they, are they uh, for a walk? Are they go on a journey? Are they sleeping? Why can't you wake them up? Are they, are they using the restroom? <laughs> he is he is going all out trash uh, trash talk. One of the coolest, um, you know, God in, in this story uh, just comes across as a um, I don't even know what the how to how to describe yeah, it. Yeah, just trash talking like an athlete or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah there this you go. That's a great illustration. <laughs> uh, but uh, in the end, of course, Elijah's turn comes around, and God sends down fire, consumes. Uh, this the sacrifice that Elijah had laid before God. Not only the sacrifice, but everything around it. The the entire ground is singed from it. God makes a huge statement and uh, proves himself to be the one true God. And the false prophets go running because the people all of a sudden turn against them and start attacking and, and killing them. And this is the story of Elijah and the uh, the duel on Mount Carmel with the false prophets. Uh, did I did I leave any important points out, Stephen, or did I probably no, share I, too many important points? Yeah, I think you got it all. I think that was I don't think that was good. So so how does this apply? How can we make this apply then to our lives here in 2021? We don't have a Mount Carmel. We're, <laughs> we're not uh, we're not uh, experiencing any of the same things. At least. Uh, um, in the context that we're in, that, that they were back then. So, Stephen, what what can yeah. you do to uh, help us make sense of this and apply it to our lives? Yeah, so um, both Paul and I have um, takeaways from this passage. And just, I think, I don't know if you mentioned or not, it's First Kings chapter 18, and the verses are 16 through 39. So if anyone wants to go back and read that, um, this, that's where we're getting the uh, passage of Elijah on Mark Carmel. Which I do love, Carmel. It's Carmel. It's Carmel, not Carmel, right? 
if it makes you think of caramel, <laughs> then we will pronounce it Carmel, just to keep you focused. <laughs> right. so I think that, that's probably a good idea. I do love Milky Ways. So, anyways, um, yeah, so to begin, Elijah tries to simplify it with to the people that um, Elijah, instead of giving a big lecture um, with this event coming up, he simply wants to know if the people will s- continue to serve God. Um, what is interesting about this is that he, the people, so I'm looking at, let me just read this verse. So Elijah chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Elijah went before the people and he said, how long will you waver between two options? If the Lord, or if God, um, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Um, so Elijah is giving the people two options. He simplifies it and he says, why are you wa- wavering between God, which is also Yahweh, and, and Baal? Why are you wavering between the two? For some reason, the people hadn't fully um, seemed to commit to one God. Um, perhaps they followed a little bit of this God here and a little bit of Baal here and a little bit of Yahweh here. They just mixed it all together. And really, it was the people who were being a God unto themselves and choosing who and what they wanted to serve and follow. Um, And Elijah wanted the people to commit to one of the gods, to stop hovering between the middle. And in our modern times, we also see this can be a struggle for Christians that we can hover between following Jesus and committing to him and then following the ways of the world and committing to that following after um, the ways of the world of following wealth and power and lust and following after the idols of this world such as which can idols that can be our career or family or individualism or um, and, and things that aren't necessarily bad our career and families aren't bad but we can make idols out of them and worship them um, and, and as a Christian we are to fully commit to following Jesus and following um, or to really commit to following Christ, or we're going to commit to following the desires of this world, and um, and it's up to us too to make a decision. Um, a lot of times, we are also in the position of Elijah that we need to stop wavering between the two, and, and who are we going to follow? Who are we going to choose? And which reminds me of the passage um, Paul had mentioned this before we got on the passage of Joshua, where it says like, "For for my house, for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord." Um, and that was another moment where Israel had to choose between following idols and following God. As a matter of fact, to be honest, much of the Old Testament is <laughs> about, is Israel, is Israel going to follow God or are they going to follow idols? Um, that's a major theme throughout the whole Old Testament. So, yeah, that's one of the takeaways I had from this passage. And hey, When you talk about, um, you know, having to make a decision, I think that, you know, uh, maybe maybe piggybacking off of that concept and and where I wanted to go with this was this notion that as Christians, uh, a lot of times we, we fail to appreciate or maybe we selectively ignore the fact that our faith is almost just as much about conflict as -hmm. it is about um, love and Mm -hmm. uh, kindness and cooperation yeah. Because if you look at the ministry of Jesus, it was not a, a, a smooth sailing. No. Uh, he was not buddy-buddy with everybody. He spent uh, just as much of his airtime and, and just as much of his, his words that he expressed calling people out and uh, and 
creating um, not boundaries, but uh, the differentiating between those who he uh, those who he wanted to uplift and, and those who were right. going about things the wrong way. Um, he he didn't mince words at times, and yeah. I think one of the things as Christians that we uh, maybe sometimes underappreciate or underemphasize uh, is, is the need for us to know uh, and jump on those moments when we need to be in conflict. And, and by conflict, I don't mean mm-hmm. that we are uh, in opposition to any particular person mm-hmm. or a group of people mm-hmm. as much as we are in opposition to concepts and ideas yeah. and, um, and, and places and spaces where uh, Satan is at work in this world. And, and yeah. I think that we have to be comfortable, find a way to be comfortable living in uh, that tension of knowing that, that there are conflicts and there need to be conflicts between us and other yeah. people and, and mm-hmm. other concepts uh, that they represent uh, really at all times. And I think Elijah learned this the hard way. His entire life was was riddled with conflict. There was no moment in his life from the time he was called uh, to the, the moment that he was taken up by God that he was not in conflict yeah. and pretty intense conflict. And the hardest part for me is is being able to discern when those moments are uh, when those moments are upon us and and how to how to engage them, finding the courage mm-hmm. to engage them. For Elijah, um, in some ways, I, I, I don't want to belittle all the, the horrible things he went through, how difficult his life was, but in yeah. some ways he had it easier in this regard because it, there was no question who his enemies uh, were. It was, yeah. it was right in his face all the time. Um, there was no question those moments that if he was going to be true to his, to his God, that he needed to stand up and, and speak out. Right. Um, uh, of his convictions and, and oppose uh, the the enemy and the movements of the enemy. For us, it's not as, as clear-cut. Um, there are many instances in my life where I, I don't know if it's the right time to speak up. Um, I don't know, you know, it, to what extent I should allow things to go or not allow things to go. I want to live in, in harmony with people, uh, but I also know that I have to stand by my convictions and and there's a, a lot of wisdom uh, from above needed to be able to, to muddle through these instances. Yep. So uh, conflict, and um, and I think we we like to think that uh, we're always going to prevail, and God is always going to come and rescue us, like He did Elijah in this story. But that's not always the case because uh, God doesn't necessarily promise us uh, success in in our engagements in this world. Uh, he promises us uh, spiritual uh, success and, and spiritual growth and eternal success and eternal victory. Uh, but there's going to be downer moments in this world where we do stand up for what's right and it doesn't go well for us. Uh, more often than not, the Goliaths uh, defeat the Davids, right? I think uh, in particular of the student from Columbine High School when the school shootings uh, occurred when uh, she stood up uh, and professed a belief in God, so she did what was right. She she stood in, in contention to the, the people who were threatening her, and she mm. spoke uh, from her faith, and God did not swoop in and, and rescue her from her physical death. Uh, she ended up she ended up being shot and, and killed in that moment, uh, but I have no doubt that her eternal rewards are uh, abundant, and the ripple effect of the, the courage that she showed 
uh, was, was astounding. So I think we need to be able to see things from that perspective, that we need to be prepared to be in conflict um, and do so in a, in a loving uh, way, in a, in a way that maintains our integrity, but to be in conflict um, and to know that we're not always going to, it's not always going to play out the way that uh, we, we hope. In a physical, worldly sense, the good guys are not always going to appear uh, to, to be winning or to have won, uh, but God protects us and, and uh, provides for us. And uh, in an eternal sense, in a spiritual sense, we always come out the victors. All right. Anything else on uh, before we move along? You got? Yeah, I, to say uh, one more thing real quickly, um, and if you have Bibles out, that would be great. But verse thirty-seven, actually thirty-six and thirty-seven, where uh, Elijah prays for the people, or he's praying to God for the fire to come down, is very interesting. At the end of that passage, in verse thirty-seven. It says, answer me, Lord, answer me, so that the people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Um, how Elijah is praying, um, Elijah prays um, before the sacrifice that the people don't simply see a miracle, but that their hearts are changed to following God. Um, the hearts of the people is the focus, um, not the fire, not the miracle, not the foolishness of the prophets of Baal, the focus is on the hearts of the people, um, because without the hearts of the people being changed, they will return to some other idol worship, or um, their hearts must be changed. Elijah believes that through knowing the Lord, their hearts will be changed. Um, a knowing that a knowing of the Lord that goes beyond simply acknowledging Him, but a knowing that delves deep into the heart of people, um, and then miracles. Um, miracles don't bring lasting change. I think a lot of times in our Western society, either we, um, people either discount all miracles and say they don't exist, or either people think they put too much stock in miracles and believe, oh, we just need to see a miracle, then we'll believe. Um, but, but to be honest, the reality is when a lot of times when you see miracles in Scripture, it doesn't always convince people to change. You think of um, when the children of Israel um, left Egypt, uh, literally across dry ground when the Red Sea split in half. Um, it did not take them very long um, before they were complaining to God. It did not take them very long to even make an idol, a false idol, um, even after they all saw all the miracles and miraculous things that God had done. Um, and I mean, you even see it in the Gospels. Jesus would do miraculous things all the time, and the Pharisees would never, still would not believe. So just the fact of miracles does not is in, in no way a guarantee of lasting change. Only hearts that are transformed by God can bring the lasting change. Um, and what also came to mind is perhaps the greatest miracle of all is the changing of a heart. Maybe that's the miracle. Maybe the um, the big miraculous things, that's not the miracle. The miracle is the human, the changed human heart, a heart that's changed to following God. Um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting to take away that I have from this passage that as I, Isaiah prays for the hearts of the people. I feel like there was a, a hallmark moment just a second ago. <laughs> hallmark there was a, one of those quotable quotes, Stephen, that you uttered that you know you you probably will never remember. I'll how put you it in a card. It. I'll put it in the card. And that sounds so, good. So, Something yeah. about the greatest miracle is the changing of, oh, heart, of one's right, heart. Right. That's <laughs> yeah. That's beautiful. And it, actually, it's a perfect lead into um, one of my thoughts on the, our second passage. So I'll go ahead and take right. us there. First Kings. Uh, we're in chapter nineteen now. 
I'm going to read verses 9 through 13a. Uh, there he went into a cave and spent the night, he being Elijah, or sticking with Elijah. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains, or tore the mountains apart, and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So this, uh, this occurs after uh, the story of the duel on Mount Carmel. Elijah is, uh, is a victor in that duel and uh, has uh, one of the, the most, uh, quite literally speaking, mountaintop, uh, beautiful mountaintop experiences that one can ever ex uh, experience, one can ever have. <laughs> um, yet, on the other side of that, he is he's back uh, to running for his life and, and hiding uh, to protect himself because uh, the enemy is still strong and uh, he is still public enemy number one. So he's on the run and he ex is exhausted. He's weary. There's some passages between that one and this where God uh, cares for and, and provides for Elijah through uh, feeding him in the wilderness. Um, but Elijah just presses on. God has him on the move. He arrives uh, in this, this cave, and he's got nothing left. And he basically says to God, you know, I can't do this anymore. Um, just take me now. Um, I got nothing left. And so God uh, recognizes this is a moment that, that he needs to come alongside Elijah and, and uh, grant him the power of his presence. So we have, we have these uh, three these uh, three appearances by God or uh, actions by God that uh, occur right in front of Elijah. Uh, the first is this powerful wind. The second is an earthquake. The third is a, a fire and uh, all brought about by the power of God and Elijah. Uh, I picture him standing there uh, just not impressed, right? He's, he's uh, wielded God's power himself. He's seen, not only seen it, but he's wielded it and uh, he needs an encounter with God but none of these, these three encounters, none of these three opportunities really do anything for him. And it's when this gentle whisper uh, comes out of the skies and, and uh, reassures Elijah and, and uh, brings to him an, an experience of God's presence and, and an intimacy of his uh, relationship with God. That's when Elijah uh, finally feels and uh, experiences God's presence and, and goes out and seeks to bask in it. Um, outside the cave. So uh, Stephen was just talking about how miracles are, are not the be-all, end-all of our faith, how so many people are striving to uh, see God's power uh, work in our midst. And I think 
one of my biggest takeaways from this passage is that the uh, that as humans we we do strive for that especially those who have not really uh, encountered God or um, been raised in the faith they they know God or at least their their um, expectation is that our God is a God of power we we look for his uh, proof of that and how he uh, comes alongside us in our moments of crisis uh, does God heal my my sick grandma or um, is God going to, you know, as a kid, is God going to grant me a snow day? You know, when I'm tired of going to school, like all these things, it sounds silly, but we look for God to appear before us through his power. Uh, that's how we expect to see God moving. And that's when we're most impressed. Um, but I think God's qualities are all perfect and he has many of them. But the ones uh, to me that are um, perhaps most important or most endearing to us and we need to cling to the most, are, it's not his power, it's not his miracles, it's it's his uh, the intimacy that we have available to us in relationship with him and the, the gentleness and the, the peace that we receive and the hope and the joy, all of these these uh, things, these uh, principles that come to us through relationship with God. And Elijah had a relationship with God that was more dynamic, uh, more intimate, more powerful than, than uh, perhaps any who had come before him. Uh, but it wasn't in an experience of God's power that uh, his, his fire was rekindled. It was in an experience of God's peace and, and uh, harmony and the intimacy of God just uh, coming alongside him and uh, speaking to him in a gentle whisper, perhaps calling his name and reassuring him uh, through that relationship that already existed between them and Elijah held close to his heart that God was still there. So I think my challenge for us is is um, that we need to uh, seek that out more so than the other, especially as Christians who, who know every quality of God and uh, understand the importance of relationship. We can't bank everything on whether God shows up in the moment and gives mm-hmm. us the the earthquake that we're looking for or the healing mm-hmm. that we're looking for or outdoors the 850 enemies standing across from us that we're hoping for. Uh, we have to, to seek an experience of God that that brings us intimacy and relationship with him on a daily basis. And, and mm-hmm. that's where uh, the value of our, our faith truly lies. All right. That was good. Um, I think you could put all of that in a Hallmark card too. Like a no. Hallmark movie, <laughs> that'd be a pretty big card. Hey, I either need to talk less, or they need to start making bigger cards. No, probably we'll, talk less. No, they'll make jumbo cards. <laughs> um, but yeah, that. So my takeaways from this passage uh, again has a lot of similarities to what Paul had just said. Um, but I think this is also an interesting um, case study, kind of into into depression. To be honest. Um, even after all that Elijah did, his boldness to call out the people um, on Mount Carmel, the boldness to go against the prophets of Baal, the boldness of the miracles, the causing of fire from heaven, and then also right after he caused the fire from heaven, he prayed rain onto the land, which we didn't even talk about that. Um, after all of that, he still sunk into this depression and fear and hopelessness. Um, this is an excellent illustration that even the mightiest men of God fall into, mightiest men or women of God, um, fall into a period of hopelessness, fear, and depression. Um, so just, and, and we see this, I see this a lot of time in the church that um, we cannot, we can't think of our leaders, our pastors, like Paul and Dan. That's Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, the, the honestly, um, it, I think it is important to pray for our pastors because it is 
Um, I, I really think, and this is kind of my own belief, but I, I think being a minister can be it's just a really dangerous position because you're 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 preaching the Lord to the people, but also I, I believe in the enemy of Satan, and I also believe in our own weakness of flesh and um, how dangerous uh, just the pastoral position can be. So you can see the mightiest men of God here, Elijah is falling into a period of hopelessness, fear, and depression. And even after doing all this great work of the Lord, um, this passage should be an encouragement for Christians because we see that even if we are doing the work of God, we can still fall into depression. Depression isn't something to be ashamed of. It happens to the best of us. And Elijah sees himself, Elijah sees himself as the one and only, the one and only one left in serving the Lord. Um, this is also a symptom of depression that we feel like we're all alone, that we're isolated from ourselves and we're isolated from others. Um, and we believe that no one truly knows. Um, it's also important to point out that the Lord didn't condemn him for his fear and hopelessness. When he approached Elijah, he said, um, you can imagine his tone of voice of like, what are you doing here, Elijah? As a matter of fact, the angel, before Elijah made it to the cave, angels came and were feeding him <laughs> to help him get to the point where he was. Um, he didn't come out and say, uh, God didn't come out and say that he was some sort of idiot for not, uh, for feeling this way. God comes to him gently and simply asks him, what is he doing? What is he doing there? Um, and, and the key here, also it's important to see that Elijah knew that he had to go to God. Um, so he, um, a little tidbit is that he went to um, Horeb, the mountain of Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, which is also the place where the people of Israel went when they heard from God himself when he came down as a pillar of fire. Um, so Mount um, Sinai or Mount Horeb is, is a very, 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 very iconic mountain. Um, it's mentioned throughout scripture, really, especially in the Old Testament. So he goes to this place knowing that he has to go to God. He chose to go to the mountain of the Lord, knowing he needed to be near to God. And, and this is also encouragement for us as well, that those who can be struggling with depression, um, that going to the Lord is something that is, I think, very critical and important. And as we see how the Lord responds, he responds not in anger or, but he responds in gentleness. He responds, as Paul said, in the whisper, and and he knows how to respond to us um, and how best we can hear him and how we can respond back to him. So um, I thought that was an interesting tidbit to pull out that you can see Elijah is not in a good place after doing all those miraculous things. So, yeah. so are we ready to hear some good news about Elijah? <laughs> yeah, we are. That's uh <laughs> So as we transition to our last passage here, I, I got it ready to ready to go here. Uh, we're going to flip over to the book of 2 Kings. We're going to read chapter 2, verses 3 through 9. 2 Kings 2, 3 through 9. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha, I say again, Elisha, and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master, meaning Elijah, from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. <laughs> then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know? 
that the Lord is going to take your master from you today. Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. And as the story continues, uh, Elijah, um, or should we switch to just Jah, uh, <laughs> just to, to save me and, and all of us from this, this nonsense. <laughs> Elijah is, is uh, taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Yes, uh, Allah, the chariots of fire film from yeah. uh, Stephen was telling me about from the 80s, yeah, right? Which I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's 80s or what, but um and you haven't seen that one either have you i haven't oh yeah we have a whole list of movies yeah we're gonna have to start a a movie club all right yeah (laughs) yeah in our free time so chariots of fires is uh loosely based on or some connection to this oh you're right it is the 80s i am of course (laughs) (laughs) 81 yeah 81 yeah which is actually if anyone hasn't seen it it really is a good movie it's and the guy actually became a really um, I should know his name because he became a really famous um, missionary. Er- Eric Eric Lindell um, became a devout Christian, born in Scot. He was born in Scotland and became a missionary to China. Um, hmm. Had a very big influence. So actually, it's a really it's a good movie about his Olympic career. But he after his Olympic career, he ended up being a missionary. So just, okay. Yeah. So cool aside, a little plug for uh, <laughs> for Chariots of Fire, right? And uh, as the story as the story winds up here, and we're, we're not going to read it in its entirety, but we've set up this moment where Elijah's uh, ministry has come to an end, and he's been uh, training his successor Elisha uh, for a number of years now, and and Elijah has been uh, informed that he has this unique privilege that only. Uh, occurs with two people in all of Scripture where he is going to be taken directly up to heaven without having to experience a a physical death. And it happens by means of this fiery chariot that comes out of of the sky and collects Elijah up and uh, and just kind of uh, carries him away. Right. And uh, yeah, Stephen. Well, I'm, I'm not going to ruin your. <laughs> you were telling me of uh, this cool connection that you found to a New Testament passage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, this is the way it plays out for these two. And uh, I'll simply just a, a quick um, note on it, and then we'll let Stephen wrap us up. But uh, I think what we see in this passage, to me, we, we've already laid the groundwork for this. You, you have this Mount Carmel scenario uh, where we've acknowledged that the entire nation of Israel has gone astray. Um, there are very few people left that believe and worship the, the one true God. Um, Elijah, uh, as we said, old time is, is the last man standing. He's he's um, public enemy number one. He's given up everything in in life to be faithful to God and to be his representative, his mouthpiece to the people. 
And uh, to, to my knowledge, there are no slip-ups, uh, official slip-ups, you know, moments where, as Stephen just described, of course, Elijah is a, a human. He has moments of weakness and doubt and, and discouragement, um, but no blatant sins that we record. Elijah is, is a solid guy through and through. And at the end of his time, um, you know, why God chose him as opposed to any of the other folks in, in Scripture who lived just as righteous uh, lives, perhaps, Perhaps I, I don't know, but uh, here's my here is my uh, suspicion. I think that God chose this uh, th- this to occur partly to recognize the uh, admirable life that Elijah had lived and how righteous and faithful he had been and how courageous uh, he had been in a, in a time of uh, incredible difficulty for the nation. So I think Elijah gets this special treatment to, to uh, single him out, I think, uh, in some regard. But I also think it's intended to uh, relay a, a spirit of hope uh, to the people who are left behind. And uh, there's all these prophets gathered here watching as Elijah is taken up, and, and Elisha, his protege, is, is there with them. And they get to, to witness um, Elijah being taken straight up to heaven in, the, in this chariot of fire, and what a great, um, what a great conclusion to a, a faithful life, a way for God to basically come out of the clouds and say, "Wow, this guy was incredible," and to demonstrate with with one hundred percent proof that there are rewards for our faithfulness here on earth. Uh, one, for for uh, the debate that existed amongst Jews back in the day and, and uh, still does, is, is there an afterlife? I think God is clearly saying, yes, there is more to come. I'm not taking Elijah up into the clouds so that I can drop him into some abyss and, <laughs> and he no longer exists. So uh, Elijah is getting rewarded. There's evidence that there is this afterlife that we can place our hope in. And this hope is relayed to those prophets who are still living in a time of, of great trial and great persecution. So they get that uh, source of hope. But they also uh, get to see that all of, of Elijah's faithfulness throughout his ministry um, and all these rewards that, that Jesus would later in his ministry tell us that we're, we're uh, storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven. You know, this is, this is uh, chapter one of Elijah's new life in which he gets to live into those rewards and experience the treasures that he has stored up for himself in heaven and those who remain on earth were privileged enough to witness that reality such that they could never doubt um, that that's exactly what was going on and I think that's also part of what God is trying to communicate to his people here and the point being that when we go through difficult times uh, when we face persecution when we face trials if we look hard enough we may not get chariots of fire dropping out of the sky but if we look hard enough God is going to give us signs of hope God is going to demonstrate to us one that he has not left us and two uh, that that we are um, storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven as we demonstrate faithfulness through these difficult times uh, but three that there is uh, the sun will rise on the other side of these these long dark nights and uh, this occurred for Elijah and God wants to reassure us he's, he's not gonna uh, pull us out of these dark times necessarily uh, when we want him to but he will grant us reassurance through these signs of hope along the way and I think this is a powerful example of that in Scripture yeah good yeah, and I, I agree with that, and I think it is. Um, I, I never really thought of the whole afterlife thing, but that definitely um, is important too. That you see that he wasn't just killed off, but taken away. Who was the other? One? Was it Enoch? 
Uh, Enoch walked yeah. with God and then he Just stopped walking because he was no more. Or something. Yeah, yeah, it's very vague. <laughs> right. uh, way back in Genesis, I think. Yeah. Maybe he got a chariot too. Maybe, chariot. yeah, just nobody was there to see <laughs> it. Yeah. Poor right. guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I just hope I go out that way. But anyways, um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I'll close this off. I I think one of the obvious connections here is just the importance of the next generation. And of course, Paul leaves this for the youth pastor to talk about the next generation. Um, Elijah was, Elijah was called to prepare and train the next major prophet of Israel, Elisha. Um, There are, Um, There are actually a lot of similarities between Elijah's departure and the departure of Christ in the gospel that we read in the gospels in the book of Acts. Um, That like Jesus, Elijah trained Elisha. Um, They would have traveled and lived together similar to how Jesus and the disciples for three years lived and and listened and were taught by Jesus and did everything together. Um, Elisha was expected to continue what Elijah had started and to continue the mission of God again, the similarity to how the, how the disciples were expected to continue the work of Christ after he had left, spreading the gospel and sharing everything that Jesus had taught them. Also, you see the similarities that those who followed um, after their leaders, um, those who followed their leaders were given power to continue, to help to continue on. So, Elisha was given a double portion um, of his spirit. So Elijah gave a double portion of his, his spirit to Elisha. Um, I'm not sure how you give a double portion of your spirit. But anyways, he's saying what that means is that he gave a double portion of what was given to him. Um, and the same that Christ gave us um, the Holy Spirit to continue the work of Christ um, here on earth. So as Christians, it is our job to help make sure that we train up those who are after us to help them to continue the work of the Lord, um, the work that was passed on to us by those ahead of us. Um, So we see that um, the work of Christ, um, the work of God really is a generational work that continues um, from generation to generation to generation and the importance of that um, to continue to teach um, those younger than us. And it doesn't always have to be young students. It can be um, a grandparent teaching their grandkids or a parent teaching their children or even just um, teaching a grandparent teaching his son or whatever. So there's, it doesn't always have to be the conventional way of looking at it. Um, all of us have our own, I like to put it this way, um, who is our Timothy, or who is our Timothy, right? Paul taught Timothy. He trained Timothy up, just like you see Elijah trained up Elisha and Jesus and the disciples. So there's a lot of this going on throughout Scripture, and, and I think as Christians we're called to speak into um, that next generation. So... Well, we want to thank everyone for listening to this one. Um, was it Bible character sketch? Interesting Bible characters, biblical sketch that we call uh, I don't know. I was hoping we wouldn't have to attempt that. <laughs> we would get it straight by next episode. We'll, yeah, have, we'll, we'll have a more succinct title. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's been good uh, breaking down Elijah. And hopefully we got. Hopefully we didn't confuse you too much with the whole switcheroo stuff, Elijah and Elisha. Um, but yeah. So and just to wrap it up, um, we have um, our parking lot services at eight thirty and ten right now. So, but also keep your eyes peeled on church website, church Facebook page, 
Um, I don't believe we have an Instagram page. No, I don't think so. Um, but we do have a YouTube channel too. Um, <laughs> but keep your eyes peeled that updates coming up on um, the the path that the church is taking on services and um, when we perhaps will be open in person again, which I'll be excited about. Um, any any words from Paul over there? You look like you're going to say something. I feel yeah. like I've said enough. <laughs> <laughs> just to make sure you it's just squeeze every word out of you. Just I don't want to end this podcast with you if you have anything left to say. I have absolutely <laughs> nothing other than these last two totally unnecessary responses to your invitation to speak. I have nothing to say. So All right. You're doing so, so good. Just take us on out. All right. Well, that's going to wrap this up. We want to thank Paul for clo- those closing words. So <laughs> thanks, and we'll see you next time.